Hi, and welcome back to The Back Peg. This Lad, it's always a pleasure to join you on the show. And once more, you've sorted us out a fantastic get for the program. Yes, yes, we have. Uh, we've got the one and only inimitable Cat Haddad from the Born Offside podcast, Op the Sport, Nike brand ambassador. And the list goes on and on. So it's an absolute pleasure to have Cat join us this week on The Back Peg. And with Cat, we're going to be talking about all things women's football, the World Cup, and a little bit of Premier League chat in there as well. Cat, obviously, a Liverpool supporter, so it'll be a lot of fun. Joining us on this week's episode of The Back Peg is the one and only Cat Haddad from Born Offside podcast and Nike ambassador and Optus presenter and so on and so on. Kat, welcome. Thank you for your time and glad to have you on the back peg. Thank you so much. It's it's really fun to join you guys on this evening. There's so much football to talk about. And as you mentioned, um, I was just telling you off air before that I get up at 4.30 for that Optus job that you yep. just mentioned. So the, the football is fresh. It's all in my head right now. Uh, it's all good. Well, we're going to get to to that in a minute. As far as your journey from, and those of us that listen to the Born Offside podcast are aware that you're a Barcelona supporter mm-hmm. and a Liverpool supporter, and we're going to take umbrage on that as well because I'm a Newcastle <laughs> United supporter and a Real Madrid supporter, but Nathan is a <laughs> a Man U supporter and a Bilbao supporter. Oh, Bilbao, I like yeah. that. Mm, so, so you've got us both offside from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> So at least there's a general appreciation for Spanish football here. Oh, yes. All all football, all football. But what other teams do you follow as well, aside from Liverpool and Barcelona? And how did you end up with that? So the the love was always Liverpool in the sense that um, when I, when I got into the game, they were the first team I picked and it was quite literally my red was my favorite color and it was between Liverpool or Manchester United at the time. And I chose Liverpool and you know, that the story started from there. But the Barcelona connection is actually more to do with the city than the team in that I um, always had this fascination with Spain and Spanish culture. And I went on a, um, like a short-term exchange when I was at Mm. uni and was in Madrid. But I was really drawn to Barcelona on that trip. And I went to Camp Nou and I just felt that football culture and I think that's actually what really for me lit that fire that I I think was burning in the background for a long time but it was that experience for me that made it something that you know drove me to create a career out of it but um it was that experience in Barcelona and feeling connected to the club that made me love it and it's actually to this day I think I've seen the most live football games at Camp Nou because it was like the local football club which seems like a ridiculous thing to say um, Not at all. It, was, it sounds logical, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was unreal. But um, I think outside of those two teams, it's a general appreciation for football. I think you're always watching what teams are emerging or doing well. So I've, you know, been paying a lot of attention to Napoli, for example. Mm. Um, my best friend, her family are Napoli fanat- fanatics. So I feel like I've naturally just taken to them since day one. Um, but then in terms of Spain, I'm, I'm a real Betis fan as well. I think this, there's a real warmth to that club that I love and, and a history that I think a shared history as well, to be fair. Mm. I think a lot of these Spanish clubs, we sometimes take for granted how deeply rooted the culture is with the football. But, um, yeah, I would say those are kind of the standout clubs. But outside of that, it's, it's just a love for the game, really. 
yeah, I think we can all subscribe to that, that we all love football <laughs> and we, we follow the stories as much as the teams themselves and the cities. And uh, personally, that's a, a similar story to how I came across Athletic Club in Bilbao on my travels and felt, fell in love with the club, reading the story and all that. But uh, Kat, what about the local front? Any team in particular or any feeling towards one? Yeah, it's always been historically Sydney FC, uh, but having worked on Dub Zone, uh, the A-League women's show this season, I, I think it gave me that real appreciation for the clubs like Western United, you know, that have emerged somewhat out of nowhere to to the casual fan, um, which admittedly was me before I started working on the show. Mm. I've always been someone who consumed a lot more of the international European football and then working on the show was amazing because it got me to appreciate the game that's right in front of us um, and the potential that it has as well for growth. But um, I'd say Sydney FC, but I think I'm a bit of a poor Sydney FC fan because I do find myself (laughs) on like the underdog. And when I look at, you know, Central Coast Mariners making the final, I'm like, it's so good. You know, I have really the underdog win um but yeah how about you guys do you have local teams as well that you support oh sydney sydney fc traditionally but uh nathan i think uh, you're a macarthur fc fan now aren't you yes yes Yes. very much so uh they're the local team as far as i'm concerned uh down here in campbelltown (laughs) born and raised so um love it right in the territory so yeah, yeah it, it was i've been to a few western sydney games i was there for the asian champions league final the first league anyway um, it, it was a fantastic atmosphere there, mm. and as it always was at the old Parramatta Stadium. But mm. yeah, MacArthur, and uh, yeah, that's where my flags are uh, are there now. My colours are mm. there. Yeah, we mentioned uh, on previous episodes uh, what a great job you guys did with the dub zone. We should have mentioned that at the start as well, introducing <laughs> yourself, <laughs> because um, it was a really good concept, and the way that you guys actually presented that, you know. Saturday afternoons, everybody knew that, uh, you know, they followed the game, knew it was on, and it was just, uh, you know, really well put together. It was a lot of fun to be a part Mm. of. Like I said, I learned a lot. Um, I think it's a real privilege, if I'm honest, to be involved in what is essentially the first of its kind for women's football in Australia. We've never had a show that is solely devoted to telling the storylines of the female game. It's always been sharing the spotlight with the men or, or kind of in the shadows, yeah. but Dub Zone was purely for creating a narrative that didn't exist before. Because I guess the idea, right, and, and it's still something that we have in the A-League as well, is that there are a lot of faces that you recognise but not a lot of stories that you know. And in the women's game, there's a lot of faces you don't recognise mm. because it just hasn't had the time to and it hasn't had the love. And so I think Dub Zone and even the role that I played on the show was really just to identify a few of those storylines every week and things that people should know or what are people talking about and who's achieving things off the pitch or during the week that we can talk about and create a bit of a story and 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 make sure that people know who these girls are because they deserve to be known. So it was really yeah. fun to be a part of and, and I feel like I got to kind of develop nice relationships with some of those girls by doing that and the whole FaceTiming of the players during the show is a great concept too and and I wouldn't be surprised if more shows start to be more interactive like that as well. But, yeah, it was super fun and I learned so much about the game and then heading into a Women's World Cup, it, it for me, set the perfect context for women's football in Australia and, and what the appetite for it is like. I reckon MLS Apple TV have actually uh, stolen a bit of the uh, dub zone concept there <laughs> in their coverage. <laughs> 
<laughs> good, good. Yeah. It was, yeah. It's a form of flattery. I love it. I, I think <laughs> it's what we want to see, you know, is is anything that is engaging and gives a voice to, to the players. Enough people like me giving our two cents when at the end of the day I wasn't the one out on the pitch. Like they're the ones we want to hear mm. from and they're the stories that we want to hear about. I just want to be a, an avenue with which like they can tell their own stories. Yeah, and it's a fantastic program, as we've been saying. And do you think it's come about because there's a greater interest in women's football this season leading into the World Cup? Or is there just, do you feel a bit more appetite from the broadcaster, perhaps, or from the A-Leagues, a bit more spotlight on the women's side of football? Do you think there's a bit more appetite across the board? Which way do you think has been the driving influence for the success of the dub zone? That's such a good question, because when it was first, the idea was first pitched to me, my initial thoughts were there must be this really huge appetite for a show for women's football in Australia and then the more we got talking I did realize that it's not that the appetite for a show like that is so great and everyone's demanding it it's actually a lot more to do with the broadcaster understanding that they are the only thing between that or preventing any potential growth from the game and so by having an avenue like that having a show like that you start to create the conversation and you get more people involved And so I think from an engagement perspective, it was kind of at the point initially where I would recognise the names. It was kind of the same people tuning in and sending in comments and you realise that the the audience is small but loud and passionate and so, like, you start to know them all by their first names, which is really cool. But I think that is the perfect platform with which to then grow the game because you're making it more accessible, viewable, it's not behind a paywall either, I think, which is really important, as we know, to grow the game as well. Accessibility is everything. And so having a show that's so easy to tune into and learn about the game is one step towards growing the game. And I think that's something that the broadcaster recognised and the APL recognised as something that needs to be done as well. And I think they owned it and they did a great job of it. But, you know, they, like anything, there's room to to make it even better for the next season and to hopefully get a bigger audience off the back of the World Cup and and all of the excitement that that brings and and the passion for the game that will hopefully be left behind once the football's done here. Perfect segue into the Women's World Cup. Kat, when (laughs) when do you think the FIFA machine is going to roll into town and is Mm. Australia and New Zealand ready for it? Because I think they're still not ready for it, even though we're about eight weeks out just before, you know, as of today. Yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit of a pain point, I think, as somebody who's working in it. I've done, I've done a lot of internal stuff with FIFA. Like I know that they're really amping it up and they're really trying to build that community spirit. And I, um, I worked on an event about a, six weeks ago, which was really cool. It was all about um, cultural ambassadors. Yeah, and the Cultural Pulse at, event. Yeah. Yeah, looking yeah, at yeah. All cultures in Australia and how you can find individuals who can ignite the fire within those groups to get them going to games. The Brazilian community supporting Brazil and uh, the Nigerian community supporting Nigeria. I think those things are really cool to see, but I do feel like there's been a lack of push in mainstream media and and that's something that I think a lot of people who work in the industry have noticed and I don't even know who to blame. It's one of those things where because it's a Channel 7 and an Optus Sport and, and it's FIFA and there's so many avenues of advertising these things. I don't even know whose fault it is. Mm. But I, I'm hoping we see more momentum um, 
over even over the next coming weeks you, you would you would think mm. um, because I do realize that I'm in a bit of a football bubble and as soon as I step out of it it's not common knowledge and like you guys might find that it's the same for you because mm. you're passionate or fans and you're consuming all of this stuff you're seeing it mm. but then when you go have a conversation with somebody at the shops who isn't in football they're like oh we have a world cup here yeah yeah and I think yeah. that's that's probably one pain point but I I'm I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt that things mm. will, will amp up but what what are your thoughts on that as as passionate fans as well Nathan do you want to go first because we also look at it from a sports business perspective, right? Because we're both MBAs in sports administration too. Okay. Right. And yes, we're football fans, but also we look at it with that kind of lens too. And Nathan, yeah. do you want to go first on that? Because I might tee off. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like you have in the past. <laughs> um essentially, as you as we've been saying, eight weeks out and there isn't a whole lot of focus on it from non-broadcasters. Yes, we've seen the Optus board ads for months now that the games mm-hmm. are coming up. We know who's playing who and when they're on. But as a wider sense, I think there is a real lack of insight from the general public and the general news cycle because, as you say, last eight weeks to go until the tournament kicks off. It does give me a little bit of concern over sort of the legacy of this tournament. Yes, we haven't got going yet. We don't know how it's going to be received once the tournament starts. But the fact that we're eight weeks out and there's no real sign of any lasting legacy from this point on, it does concern me a lot that this event has a real opportunity to change football in this country forever, not just the women's side of the game, the men's as well. Mm. And I have major concerns over how well administrators in the country are utilising the prospects of this event. Yeah. Yeah, look, with regard to that, I think that the legacy aspect can be visited during and toward the end of the tournament and what the outlook is going to be from that point on. Right now, it seems as though we've... We've kicked a couple of goals with regards to the ticket sales, so they've been record-breaking. And, yes, you can sit on your laurels for that for a little bit, but like we've said before, I I think actually that the game itself should be singing the praises of this event and actually hyping this event up right now and actually putting it down everyone's everyone's throats to the point where they're actually sick of it, right? And I think the ultimate shithousery would be right now, you've got State of Origin next week, Put yep. on ads on either side of you know of origin, <laughs> right? Yeah, and and have FIFA branded ads and you know have the beyond greatness thing. You know, credit to where you know credit's due. Optusport have done great content in promoting the um, the World Cup, and they've been doing it for over twelve months, right? And I'm not saying this because cats on it's it's you know it's there. The evidence is there. You can see it. Nike have done uh, you know with the launch of the uh, kits have done amazing you know an amazing campaign as well but i think us as a game but also i'm a bit concerned about with what fifa like you know or what the message is from fifa and that's why i'm asking hey when is the fifa machine rolling in because we should be getting electrical uh the electrical billboards happening as well you see it for you know all the latest movies and all that kind of stuff all the bus shelters should be happening like all that kind of media you haven't seen any of it no. Mm. Right. Yeah. Like, right. You know, like this, branding. The, yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. And that's the thing that concerns me. I think. Yeah. It should have already started now. Like. Yeah. You know, the FIFA ads may have kicked on what about two weeks ago. Yeah. But they're not prevalent. 
No, I agree with you. And it, it's funny how you say you look at it from the lens of working in sports administration. I have an advertising background. And yep. up until October of last year, I was working in advertising. Yeah. And um, I feel like it's a no-brainer that, you know, there's so much there's such so much capacity to be advertising this World Cup. And, and to your point, when you watch State of Origin, I would, I'd love it if they threw a couple in there and it gets oh, people talking because I'd be 100%. like, are you going to go to that? Are you going to go yeah, to that? That's right. yeah. And even if it's people saying, oh, I don't like women's football, I'm not bothered for it, cool, that might spark a conversation in that house yeah. at that time where someone else goes, have you ever actually watched it? Correct. Like why have you decided that? And before yeah. you know it, after the 80 minutes of state of, state of origin, someone's decided that they're actually going to go to the women's That's World right. Cup. And <laughs> yeah. use the fact that you've got the beautiful game, like, okay, yeah, origin's great, fantastic, right? Okay, you know, hey, you think that was good? Watch the beautiful game being played, you know, on the world stage here. Yeah. And also you know. I think it's it's we're a sporting country and and there should just be this, this love of sport, regardless of code, mm. regardless of gender it's this appreciation for the the sporty culture that we have and and it's a surprise to me that we're not really seeing a lot of stuff and and I do I do feel like there's a there's a bit of onus on channel seven as well who also have the rights and and I don't feel like we see anything um being broadcasted on on their anything channel seven related to be honest I I don't really see um, and I think there's an opportunity there because they would have a far large audience than Optus Sport do. Granted, that's a football-specific mm. audience behind a paywall, so your reach can only be so great, whereas Channel 7 have this opportunity to make it a talking point, but I, they're yet to do it, and it, it is a shame, and, and I hope it doesn't um, have a negative impact on on how everything comes to fruition when July 20 comes around. Mm. But I'm hoping that the love of the game and as you were saying before, like FIFA come in and, and they bring that energy and, and give people a bit of FOMO and before you know it, the stadiums are filling up. Now, do you also think maybe Sydney's a bit more of an events city? Yes, as a country, we love our sport, but I compare it to Melbourne and they get behind the games and it seems though there's a bit more of a, a build-up to the events. Sydney, I see it as a bit more, I've used the term band, bandwagon in the city before, that they really jump on events as they're happening or maybe a week before and then as soon as it's done, it's move on to the next thing. Do you think that might be, Do you, first of all, do you see that in your role in working in football in, in this town? But also, do you think it's a factor as to why we're not seeing as much advertising as we should be? It very well could be. And I think it's an excellent point because when you look at, even even if you go down to NRL memberships versus AFL memberships, that in itself speaks volumes about how involved people from different states get in the sport. And, and it's the culture around attending the game. NRL is great to have your mates over and watch it on TV, but how many people in that room have a membership? And that's, that's if anything, that's the blueprint for other sports in this state. And I think A-Leagues is obviously growing as well. But, you know, when you look at the decision, um, the grand final decision with Destination New South Wales and the way that fans kicked off, obviously Sydney FC boycotted and there was a lot of disagreement there. But the biggest inconvenience was no doubt for fans outside of New South Wales. And the reaction we saw with like Melbourne victory and everything, I think says a lot about the passion that they have and how they felt about that decision. So I think you've got a point. I, I, I think the sad thing is it's hard to compare it because we don't really have the opportunity to, mm. to do that. 
properly. But yeah, I think you're right. It, it definitely would make a difference if if we had the same approach here um, to sport. And it's the reason I love going to Melbourne for sports events because it it just has an electricity that Sydney doesn't have. Mm. It didn't take long for the Sydney FC supporters to change that decision, though, did it? Really, <laughs> if you think about it. We did call them out on it. We thought it was just, you know, it was it was a banal idea. It was there was nothing, no logic behind it. Yeah, and and it was it's it's not funny, but it's kind of funny at at a similar time. We no, we can laugh about video. it. <laughs> well, yeah, we have this born offside video that kicked off. I don't know if you guys saw the comments yet. Nathan, we, you're nodding. You yeah, know, when you guys had Danny Townsend on. Oh, yes. Hey. Yeah, yeah. You, you guys got a lot of credit to Claude's. <laughs> yeah, credit to Claude's and, and, and the rest of the gang that did that interview. I mean, I think you were away at the time, but. I was, yeah. That was, um, that was you know, exactly that hit the mark and it gave everyone an insight into, hey, you know, um, this is what the decision is and people can accept that. And look, you've, you know, um, I, I think that was pretty insightful. And it gave, if you listen to it objectively, I think it it, mm. it stands up. Yeah. And, I think, add to, right, and sorry, yeah, and add to that, the, yeah. the issue with Melbourne victory, right, mm. it kind of, you know, that kind of blew everything else out of the water. Mm. It made it very hard, you know, for supporter groups to actually have a leg to stand on. It did, it did. And it, and it's similar to what we saw with the Australia Cup and Sydney United. And, and it's always the minority but a very loud group of bad behaved people that become like the poster boy of football in Australia. And it's absolutely not. There are so many level-head, open-minded people willing to have an open conversation. But then you also have some really, really, what's the word, stubborn fans, I suppose. Mm. And, and, you know, fair, fair play. If you feel really passionate about something, then by all means live, live that and do that. But I think, when it prevents the growth of the game or it impacts how the game looks to the rest of Australia, that's where I struggle a little bit because that's what we are our own worst enemy because it's, it's the growth is being prevented from within and, and that's the issue. And maybe that does ripple into the whole thing around the FIFA Women's World Cup as well and it's the reputation of football and it's the fact that since forever it's been struggling to to find a place in mainstream sport in Australia even though it's the world game if Les Murray and Johnny Warren taught us anything it was Uh that they are it was a constant battle and we kind of owe it to them that we're even probably having this conversation right now in Australia but 100% the, the challenge is still there it's definitely still there despite how big it is overseas yeah, exactly. And we saw it as well this week, the reaction from some that the soccer is going to be playing Argentina in China, that there was a lot of people saying we shouldn't be playing this game. Why is it not being played in either Australia or Argentina, not a neutral venue? How could the, how could Football Australia sign off on this? All these sorts of things. There seems to be this general sort of division within football in this country that everyone has to have in, some infighting. There's, some, there's always a massive argument about every decision ever made you could go down to the street or outside Bankwest Stadium or Combank Stadium and you could ask people what colours is outside of the stadium and there'd be a big kickoff. Oh, it's grey, oh, it's light grey, oh, it's dark grey and there'd be a big fight about it. And it seems Australian football, we can't agree on anything. No, you, it's a perfect analogy because it's, it's, it's always usually over things that are relatively minuscule in the grand scheme of things as well. They're things that we could find an agreement on but we don't. And it, I think it is also 
it is something that outsiders comment on. You know, they do mm-hmm. notice how aggressive, I suppose, we can be in our opinions around the game. And as I said, it's we're our own worst enemies. So the only thing really preventing the growth of the game here is our approach to the game. And and sometimes the fans can just be very divisive and and make football far more polarizing than it needs to be in Australia. What I liked about um, the chat that uh, you guys had with Danny was that it was done in a considered and mature approach where you're actually treating the audience as adults and not being told, hey, you need to think this way and, and this is what, you know, and you're going to like it, right? This is what it is and you're going to like it. I think that the football supporters here in Australia are able to ha- have this conversation. Yes, there are going to be those on the on the fringes that, uh, you know, you're never going to change their minds, right? But, and you're right, Nathan, as well. You mentioned that, hey, you know, there's infighting and we're our own worst enemy to a degree. And the thing that the opportunity that this Women's World Cup actually provides is that it is time to get our shit together as a sport, right? Even Danny said in that interview, right? We need to get our shit together. Imagine if we did. Mm. There's a lot of shit to get together. (laughs) There is, right? But this is the the opportunity and the Women's World Cup should be a, a fill it in. It should be the catalyst for actually attempting to get our shit together. There is so much opportunity and and I know in talking to say like the, the bigger picture in, in sport with Nike is they're not just looking at what the Women's World Cup's going to do, it's what's the Women's World Cup going to do for the growth of sport Correct. in Australia and not even just for women but for youth and, and for young people who are growing up the same way I remember the Olympics in 2000. It yep. should have that same impact. That's the thing about the Women's World Cup is I don't think it should even just be framed as a a huge event in women's sport, even though mm. it is. It's just a huge opportunity for Australia to show what they can do on the global stage with sport because if they do a good job of that, you could then get the World Cup after. That's right. And, and that, is, that would be massive and, and there's so much opportunity here for growth in sport in general. And, like, I'm first and foremost just a sport enthusiast. I love my sport and and to see any women's sport growing because of football in Australia would be amazing. Mm. And at this tournament, someone in a Matilda shirt has the opportunity to create something like a Kathy Freeman moment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly right. And the opportunity there. Are there are so many who could do it. There, we have such great talent. You look at Sam Kerr and you think the role that she plays globally in football like this is her moment yeah, she is. is the one that everyone is watching she's become a household name in fact the Matildas have become a household name and people might only know Sam Kerr and and Ellie Carpenter and, and a few players but that doesn't matter they'll learn them by watching the Women's World Cup and, and getting amongst it but this is such a huge moment for Sam she could I think it's a really beautiful way of looking at it like this is Sam's Kathy Freeman moment and it's the opportunity for the Matildas to just make Australia proud the same way that the Socceroos did it during the World Cup and you saw people just who spend no time consuming football all of a sudden like snatching their friends' Socceroos jerseys and running to Federation Square to watch a game at, at a godforsaken hour because that's what Aussies do when they yep. care. And that's the opportunity here. And it's creating those storylines and those moments but Having it centered around women's sport is obviously really a really beautiful thing for someone like myself who's grown up around men's sport and we finally see women up with this potential and a platform to celebrate them and 
the potential is actually overwhelming because so much could happen at this Women's World Cup. Expectations, Kat. Where yeah. do the Matildas finish? What's the minimum expectation? Now now it's time to make bold predictions from here on out. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. Minimum expectation would definitely be you've got to make it through to the round of 16 at the very least. Mm-hmm. I would love to see them go further. Um, but I, I do think we are amongst some incredible women's teams um, and we're kind of lucky that, you know, the likes of Spain and that have kind of crumbled um, at the latter stages, but um, we've still got some serious threats, even in our group. Canada yeah, and Nigeria are right. not to be um, forgotten about, and Ireland also beat us the last time we played them. So yeah. I think there's there's potential for for us to top the group, to bottom the group. Like we could flop, we could fly. I hope we fly, and I hope we get first or second in that group stage and get into the round of sixteen, and then just get into gear because it would be amazing if we made quarters or semis or even if we won it. But I think realistically, I think if we can get through round of six, through to the round of 16, then we can probably make quarters. The The challenge will be getting through that, those kind of initial and games. Group games, yeah. Yeah. What are you guys thinking? Nathan, do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm quietly confident that the Tillies can top the group because yeah. I see Ireland... That for mine, it does. It depends on that first game against Ireland. If mm-hmm. they come mm-hmm. out and they win, not even super convincingly, just pick up three points, and maybe it's by one or two goals, and it's a good event, and everyone's sort of roaring behind them. Themselves. I think momentum's a big thing for this tournament. Mm-hmm. And if you start off on the right foot and get three points against Ireland, and maybe that game against Canada is a shootout for top of the group. Maybe that's Hopefully my concern. Yeah. And look, I think we can beat Canada on our own patch. And as you say, Spain's in a bit of a, a mess on the women's side of things. Canada's had their issues, so it's France. England have a lot of injuries. And really, I'm sort of, maybe not expectation, but I'm hopeful that the Tillies can make it to the semis. Oh, it'd be amazing. I'd love to see that. I, when you describe it the way you have, I, I definitely, I can see it. I can mm. see it happening. My concern is just avoiding England in the round of 16. Yes. I think we can beat England on our own patch. Because they're not even as good as we they could. were when we, when we beat them. Over there a few months ago, we could. Um, look, it's the World Cup is a pressure tournament, right? And and the girls are going to be, you know, um, in the limelight for them from the very get go. Like that eighty, you know, that eighty three thousand crowd on the opening mm-hmm. night is just going to, you know, is is pretty much going to be a pre, you know, a precursor to what happens if oh, the Matildas yeah. do well that night. Then I think, hey. It's it's gonna yeah. you know it's gonna be a good tournament, right? But, it's almost sink or swim time. Yeah, and it's straight from the start, right? Straight from the start. So, yeah, it, a lot hinges on that first game. The Canada game is a bit of concern. They're the Olympic gold medalist, right? Mm. So then they're not to be sneezed that or you know easily dismissed. Yeah, it's as far as the other teams are concerned. Jeez, oh, the Americans, man. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. You know, right and quite rightly, you know, favourites. Yeah, in it for the treble, potential yeah, treble. So. Yeah, and, you know, Dark Horse, oh, geez, the French. Yeah, I mean, Germany are a Dark Horse as well. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel like I've had a, quite a few people who, like Amy Harrison at Optus, yeah. she'll always say Germany. Germany yeah. For Germany. And, and considering they're not part of the typical conversation as well, it's kind yeah. of like, oh, 
gosh, there's this other country we haven't even thought about. Spain is scary, right? If, yeah, if <laughs> you know, if they can get it together, similar to the French, right? They're prone to an implosion every now and then. Yes. But um, I think it's, you made a point too when you said, you know, tournament football is a, just a different type of football too. Yeah, 100%. It's not, it's not being in camp a couple of times a year and playing your best game against Iran or, you know, yep. a country that, like, you know, you're kind of thrown to the deep end. These mm. are the countries that have qualified for the Women's World Cup and having gone to some of the playoffs, I've seen, I saw some of that talent firsthand. Yeah. And, um, you know, we... We just can't discredit anyone, to be honest. No. They're all there for a reason. And I think the beautiful thing about Australia and the the way that they function is that the Matildas can beat anyone on a good day, but they can also lose to anyone on a on a bad day. And that sounds like a no-brainer, but mm-hmm. I, I think that's the frustration for me is the lack of consistency with the Matildas and that just because we're up against somebody who we may have historically beaten every single time, there's still this little part of you that thinks, but if they don't show up today, we won't win that game. And so the momentum piece is huge. If mm. we win that first game and they go in and yeah. they're, they're feeling confident, we can beat anyone. We yeah. absolutely can. Yeah. You know, it, we can, and and I hope that's what happens because that is exactly what we need to get people talking, to get people attending, to get people watching, and to make it the tournament that it should be. Hundred percent. All right, time to upset Nathan. Does Liverpool oh, make? We go. Does Liverpool make the Champions League? <laughs> does Liverpool finish in the top four? Do you know what? I want to say yes, but I actually think it will be. I think I think United will make top four. I mean, so we only need another point, and yeah, yeah we right. always draw against Chelsea, so it's, it's probably going to come yeah. tomorrow morning. <laughs> Chelsea are and just Chelsea are just a different team this season. They're mm. they're just not contenders. They've lost to pretty much everyone you could lose to, um, and yeah, they're just shambolic. So I feel like it's you, it's it's in United's hand if they want it. It's just what they do with it tomorrow. Fair enough. And and on- predictions for the European finals? Yes. I struggle a lot with Champions League predictions because I'm usually wrong and also on the basis that I thought Real Madrid would go the whole way. Mm. Um, consider that Liverpool PTSD because they've been <laughs> to us a couple of times. And I just can't picture anyone else being able to beat them. Um, but can you tell me tell me where you guys are at with that and oh. then I'll give you my Inter all the way. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, look, I was going to say Inter because I, I also love the idea that, you know, that an Italian team takes it out. No, that's fair enough. Kat, yeah. absolute legend. Thank you very much for joining us on the back peg. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to chat with you guys. Talk again soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye.